we spent time looking at the theme that God doesn't always make sense. Um, God doesn't always make sense. I want to encourage you, uh, if you weren't here last week, to go ahead and listen to the message. I don't know what I said, but a number of you said it was really good. So praise God for that. And because uh, that's, it, it's, a, it's a time. So I want to pick up this theme this morning, um, uh, when God doesn't make sense. Which, in some ways, is all the time. Sometimes we, we say it jokingly, like, God, why did you make mosquitoes? They just make no sense to me. So, you know, it's one of my big theological questions I'll ask God when I get to heaven. You know, they can be kind of funny things and God I just I don't understand how that guy got such a big blessing or how come you blessed me and it comes in very serious times God this doesn't make any sense so we're going to continue the theme because it's important for us to have an understanding as best as we can of God and his nature to help us walk through the times that God doesn't make sense I mean, it doesn't make sense how that little one is so darn adorable. Hi, Mario. Hi there. I just love babies. And, and we as, as believers, above all people, should have hope. And our hope is not whimsical or flimsy or glib. Our hope has to be based in the Lord when we go through a trial and all of us go through trials regularly some less severe some more severe and at one point or another everyone who lives a life long enough will go through a trial that's one of those crisis of faith trials just about everyone I've ever met including every pastor have gone through the trials the crisis of faith trials and, and I, I want to just say this. You need to have people in your life that love you, that love the Lord, that will walk through you in those times. Because when we're having one of those crisis of faith trials, this thing up here is not making any sense. It's just been damaged because of, usually because of the heart and the emotions. And so I, I, I exhort you to get into a community of believers who will walk with you through the process and be there with you to, and to help you, at the very least, just not to do anything stupid. And I look out here and I know that none of us would ever do anything stupid. None of us have ever done anything stupid. Except yesterday. <laughs> and the day before. <laughs> It, it doesn't take long to figure out that God doesn't always make sense. Amen? Amen? Some people become fatalists because they can't put the two together. Loving God, bad things. And so they become fatalists. They become atheists. They, they have such a, a hard time. And one of the parts of last week and this week is to give us some, some hope and direction to go through the difficult times together. Last week really focused on just accepting the fact that God doesn't make sense. 
and that we don't always have to make sense out of what God is doing in our life. See, sometimes he chooses to reveal the reason for his will and the reason why things happen in our lives, but often he remains silent on the issue. Now, a lot of people will tell you why God did that. And they mean well. Well, this is what God was doing. And I say, thank you, all-knowing one, for sharing with me the secrets of God. Now, God does reveal things to people who they have the gifts of discernment. But often, what's happening is when somebody's trying to reveal to you what God was doing is because they're having a hard time understanding it themselves. And so they're trying to understand and they're trying to then put that upon us. So I just encourage you to smile and, 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 and love them as best as possible and, and not be offended when somebody well-meaning tries to tell you why something bad happens. So last week was a lot about accepting the fact that we will not always know why bad things happen, why things go on in our life. But we've all seen that Christians get sick. Christians lose their jobs. When we lived in Guatemala, our first year, we, had, you know, we, we sold our home. We stepped out in faith. We were giving everything we had to the Lord. We, we took our two little kids to the mission field. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm being Paul at the moment, talking about all the wonderful things that we did. Should I continue to boast? We sacrifice these things. And so one evening coming home from doing ministry 10 feet from my front door, two Guatemalans came up, stuck a knife in my throat and robbed me. And they took my wedding ring, my Bible, my computer, and they took my peace of mind. It would have been really easy in any of those moments to say, God, why? Here we are on the mission field and you didn't protect us from being robbed. God, here we are. We're serving you. Here we are. Linda was a, a faithful servant to you. She's an elder. She loves you. She serves you faithfully. She's a good mother and a wife. And, and you take her home early. Christian parents have had to endure watching their children die of cancer. If you think you have all the reasons why God does things in dark times, I want to just tell you, go to the children's cancer ward. Because when you walk out of there, that part of your theology will, will crack. And that's an okay thing. Because when that breaks, then we can finally hold on to the real God and not just our man-made suppositions of how he does things. Remember, I've said this before, if I can comprehend the deep things of God, if I can comprehend how God works, then God is not very infinite. He's not very powerful. He's not, he's not difficult to understand if I can understand Him. Part of the faith that we have is that He actually knows better what's going on than we do. And we can trust in Him if He is good. We're going to talk about this morning. I was thinking as I was preparing this of, of all the many prominent Christian pastors and ministers who, who died prematurely. And, and this is just a small list of, of the ones that kind of came to my mind. Um, Keith Green. 
the prime of his ministry. If you don't know who Keith Green is, you need to find out. He, he was a wonderful music minister, sold out for Jesus, died in a plane crash. Jim Elliott and Nate Saint and all the, the, the four missionaries who were killed by the Indians they were going to minister to. Dr. Miles Monroe in a plane crash in the, on the Bahamas a couple years ago. David Wilkerson, faithful man of God, pastor of the Times Church, Times uh, Square Church, uh, crossing the switchblade. He was killed in a car accident. Some of you didn't know that he even passed. He, he, he died in a car accident. Dietrich Bonhoeffer died as standing against Hitler in, in Germany. Martin Luther King Jr., a very close personal friend of Shannon and I who, who ministered to us in ways he never got to know, Jerry Homme, the pastor of the local Foursquare Church here in 2000. He was part of the, the National Day of Prayer. He was the state leader for the National Day of Prayer. He worked with Shirley Dobson. He was a faithful man of God. He was driving down the 10 freeway on his anniversary with his wife and two children in the car right in Colton on the 10 freeway going uh, westbound. And on the eastbound, this I think it was a ranchero was coming down and the axle on the ranchero comes out of the car. The whole tire and axle comes out jumps the median and comes through his windshield. His wife said that he actually swerved a little bit so that he would take the entire impact of the tire coming to him. And so it took him out immediately. And the van flipped three or four times to the side of the road. And everybody in the car except Jerry lived. If that wasn't a crisis of faith for Shannon and I, the pastors, his congregation, God, why do these things happen? And we begin to come up with, with reasons and we try to make sense of it all and we came up that, that maybe Satan took him out but then we had a problem with that because can Satan take somebody out outside of the will of God and how strong is God if Satan can do that? And he was, well, was there sin in his life? And we begin to try to make sense. What we come to, though, is that things happen that don't make sense. James Dobson said this, God has never made himself accountable to man, nor shall he ever. He doesn't have to give us an account for the things that happen on this earth. Now, sometimes he chooses to allow us to know. Sometimes he chooses down the road to see why certain things happened. Recently, we've, we, we had our movie uh, times over the summer here. We, once a month, we watched a, a faith movie. And, and the stories are, are wonderful. They were all true stories. And, and they always had a miracle at the end of the movie. And I began to think, if anyone has got connections, do this, let's do this together. I want to make the Christian movie that has all the suffering of all the normal Christian wonderful movies, but at the end of it, there's no resolve. And, and you're left hanging. Like, wait a second. Where's the fun miracle? What happened? We want to know. And then a 30-second clip. A 30-second clip. Maybe the woman who, who lost her children and her husband or something. A 30-second clip at the very end of the movie shows her sitting in a park when someone comes sitting down next to her crying. 
And the woman just simply turns over and begins to talk and the movie ends. Why? Because sometimes you don't realize that what you go through today, God will use in 20 years to minister to somebody else. Now, does he cause it to happen? No. That's not what happens. God doesn't cause all the evil to happen in the world. Man sinned in the Garden of Eden. And when sin entered into this, to this world, everything changed. Sickness began to come upon. Even the ground itself became cursed. Now this is a, a belief that I hold pretty, pretty strongly. I don't know if it's accurate, so I'll, I'll, I'll preface that with that. I believe in the Garden of Eden, the animals talked. One of the reasons I actually ha- have a scripture to believe that is that when the serpent came up and started talking to Eve, I thought, I think her thing would have been like, whoa, the serpent's talking! <laughs> but she was like, oh, really? The apple looks good? Okay. <laughs> I, I would have, yeah! So I think, and, and I think C.S. Lewis, though, it was, it was just a... Uh, I can't think of the word when, allegory in the Chronicles of Narnia where some of the animals spoke and some didn't. It was kind of this half-cursed and half-uncursed world. I don't know. But, but I, I just kind of believe that the animals spoke. I think that, that in the Garden of Eden, life was so incredible. And that is the picture that we have of what's waiting for us in heaven. Before the fall, perfection, where it says Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day. They knew him. But sin entered in. Now I want to lay just a a quick little theological premise here. In In the book of Genesis, we all know the story. There were, there was a tree in the middle of the garden. And God said, do not eat of this tree. Do you remember that? It was called what? Yeah, the tree of good and evil, or the knowledge of good and evil. Eve reaches out, takes some, gives some to Adam who was with him. He eats it too. Bad things happen. God's dealing with man. Then what does God do? He says, we need to remove Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden. Lest they stretch out their hand take from the tree of life and live forever. But when he told them which trees not to eat of, he didn't tell them not to eat of the tree of life. He only told them not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why? Because in the Garden of Eden, eternal life was part of the deal. They were never going to die. But once they came into that sinful place in their life... God in his sovereignty, mercy, grace, and love said, because you have sin in your life, I won't let you live forever like this. Because he loves us too much. And the plan of redemption was set in motion that someday Jesus would have to come and die for our sin to make a way to remove completely our sin that when we would die physically from this earth, we would be alive again instantaneously in the presence of God without sin and with eternal life. But while we're here on this earth, 
we're living in a cursed, sinful place. And we get to reap all the consequences of it. So here we are on any given week, a friend, a co-worker, a child is struggling with something, going through a sickness, a financial crisis, a crisis with children, whatever it is. And we're always going through these things and it's easy, it, it would be easy to begin to question God and question not just the why, but begin to question God and His goodness and His knowledge and His understanding. So what we want to do is try to help us build a framework to understand this God. We live in a nation that has been under so much blessing for so long that the average person doesn't really know how to suffer really well. I don't know if you've ever, and, and for, I'm, for the older generation, you came out of a place that I think you understood suffering in a way that my generation and the younger generation has no idea. Other parts of the world, they're still going through a lot of struggles. You know, the last time war really touched this soil was what was the Civil War? Other nations have had absolute devastation, even developed nations in Europe in the 1940s. Did you know that in, in 1945, 80% of the German men, 80% of the German men born in the year 1922, you pr- probably don't know this, I, I, we're dead. 80% of the German boys that were born in 1922 by 1945 were dead. That's 23-year-olds, in case you're trying to figure that out. So think of your high school graduating class. Think of all the boys in it, and only two out of every ten were alive five years later. They suffered. We... What? I'm sorry? Yeah, I didn't. The entire population, nearly the entire population of these guys. Wow, how do you deal with that? And so there's a propensity for us to lose faith and to not always look at the right questions. 9-11 saw a drastic influx of people into the church. A number of things, crazy things happened after 9-11. Did you know that the divorce rate, the, the, well, let, let, me, let me say this. This is an interesting, you have to follow this. That the, a number of divorces that had been filed with the counties across the United States were revoked. They canceled them after 9-11. I think what happened is like, man, you know what? We've got each other. Let's, let's work this out. At the exact same time, there was a massive influx of new divorces. People saying, life is too short. I don't want to stay with you any longer, I suppose. Isn't that weird? Follow those. 
Right after 9-11, the churches across the United States were absolutely packed. They were just full. People began to seek after God or possibly. Shortly after that, most of those people who came in began to leave the church again. Now, George Barna, who's a a statistician, uh, he said that he believes that it was the church was not ready to fully embrace them and to help them find Christ. And I, I, I'm not, I, 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 this is coming from reading articles. I tend to agree with the, the writer of the article I was reading. He says, I believe that is true, and, and I agree with that, that that's possibly true, but I actually do believe that there was another issue going on. The people came to church after 9-11 not looking for God. They were looking for answers. And when the church couldn't give them the right answer, they moved on. Because their faith in what they were looking for was not in the right thing. They needed to be looking for God himself, not just an answer. If we are looking for the wrong things in our Christianity from God, when we come to a crisis, we will likely fail the test because we're looking for the wrong things. Some people equate living for God as a life that's blessed and prosperous. In fact, there's many people, preachers, who would preach just a prosperous life. The problem is, the Bible says things like, In this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Eleven of the disciples gave their life for the kingdom of God, John was exiled on the Isle of Patmos. Go back to the Old Testament and time again, his prophets and his leaders struggled. God doesn't promise a prosperous life just because we're his children. He promises to walk with us. He promises to give us hope. He promises to give us eternal life. He promises uh, many things. And that f- blanket promises to everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. For all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. In fact, one of the, the understandings that you get from reading the Bible is that the people looked forward to heaven, not the earth. Some of the preachers and the gospel that's being preached can actually make us look forward to the earth more than it does to heaven. Jesus came to bring us life and life to the full. We all have read the stories and somewhere believe it, but there's another part of us that that it's a wrestle with that, that we actually believe people with simple lives but that are surrounded with family and friends have a much fuller and better life than we do. I think most of us, of us in here would probably say, yeah, I think I believe that. And yet we strive so much for all the other stuff. <laughs> because we're at war with ourselves and so church, we want to get a hold of ourselves and begin to look to God. Look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. 
Hebrews chapter 11, if you're taking notes, I encourage you to, to read Hebrews chapter 11. It's the faith chapter. Hebrews chapter 12 is called the race of faith. We live this world, and it's a faith walk. Last week I mentioned that if we, by faith, received everything we asked for all the time, soon we would be living in a life that it didn't require any faith to believe for anything because we actually would know it was going to happen. Have you ever seen a child who has a, has a parent who eventually always gives in to the child? That child knows that even though mom or dad throws the little fit and says, absolutely not, absolutely not, absolutely not, well, I know that later on they're going to give me what I want. Recently, I actually heard a child say that. They're like, I know that she's going to give me what I want. And we go, oh, what a bad parent. I mean, wouldn't we agree? We'd go, Come on, isn't that a bad parent? Yet we think that God is a good God if he gives us everything we want all the time that we ask. Oh. Following? It's interesting. So, so and, and if we always know that no matter what God was going to give us, well, that's not even faith. Well, Hebrews 11, I believe it's verse 5, says without faith, it's impossible to please God. We need a level of faith that is based on trust in God's goodness and trusting who God is in order to live this life. Hebrews chapter 11 talks about faith. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtain a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Stop there. I'm going to put this in real quick. We're living in a time that science is confirming creation more and more. And it's, isn't it wonderful? Isn't it great to begin to have the science that backs up that says, this thing, you know, it came out of something. There was something that created this whole thing because they're going, well, yeah, nothing, something never comes from nothing, so something created the something in the first place. And, and it kind of keeps coming back to that. And, and as a Christian, I keep going, yeah, I told you so. You know, people say, well, it was a big bang. And I said, I have no problem with a big bang. God said it, and bang, it happened. I have no problem with that. You know, we don't, we don't know how God did it exactly. The problem is, as science is confirming that, that's no longer a part of our faith. And what we begin to do is desire to find more and more proof that God is God. And the more we're looking for proof, the more we're going to rely on natural understanding and the things of this earth for our relationship with God. And we begin to get out of a walk of faith and we get into a walk that actually lie, the, the natural side uh, is proof in the natural that God is good, but we begin to rely on this side, the natural more than the spiritual side of faith. Faith. 
If we always have a reason for things, we will be tempted to rely on ourselves during our pain rather than turning to God. We're not meant to understand. We're meant to trust. Sometimes there's no reason for things. Verse 4 in Hebrews 11 says, By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained a witness that he, was, that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts and through it being dead still speaks. By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. Verse 6, without faith it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Continue on. All these people who walked in faith Verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having them, having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on this earth. The great hall of faith, as it's called in the Bible, is is made up of a people who actually never received the things that they had faith for. They saw them afar off, and they said, well, some of those things began to happen. Absolutely. And in our life, we begin to see the things, the fruit and the things of God in our life, but we will fully not realize the promises of God and the things that we put our faith on until we get to heaven, unless... All of your faith is based on everything you're receiving today on this earth. And the Bible says if we have hope only for this world and not for eternal life and not for eternity, then we are above all people most miserable. Because our faith and our hope is put in heaven. That Christ is going to come and receive us to himself. And I was speaking with Jake right after Linda passed. He said, she's in heaven, Rob. And he's a guy and he was trying not to let his voice crack, which was really funny because it got really squeaky. He says, she's in heaven. And I says, Jake, She's dancing with Brandon. And we're jealous. And we miss her. And we're going to have to figure out how to do life without her. Especially Joe and the kids. But she walked into her promise. She had faith for it. She served faithfully because she believed the God of the Bible. And church, we go through this life and we're full of trials and tribulations and difficulties. And our faith has to be put upon God. I wrote down this question here, this statement. God doesn't always make sense, 
but can he be trusted? This is where the question has to go to. God doesn't make sense, but can he be trusted? If we come to the conclusion that God cannot be trusted, our faith is worthless, it's gone. But can God be trusted? Why pray if God doesn't answer prayer? It's been posed to me recently. And of course, as a self-righteous pastor, I take offense to that. But I am willing to ponder the question and go through the question with the person asking it. The person asking it, of course, because you don't ask that type of a question unless you're going through a trauma or have gone through something. Is in the place where they, they, they are not recognizing all of the answered prayers up to this point in their life. They're not looking at all the uh, testimonies of answered prayers of the saints that they know and the saints in the Bible. They've, they've been seduced by the grief to only look at one instance, and that's one of the dangers right there. In order to continue our faith, we have to begin, we have to be willing to look at the God that yesterday we said, isn't God good, this happened. Isn't God good, this happened. Well, God isn't good because this happened. God is good, period. And in His goodness or maybe in his sovereignty, sometimes he does things that are, in my opinion, just silly. We all have prayed for the good parking place. God, I'm running late. Give me a good parking place. And there it is! You only had to beat out three other people to get it. No, but really, we've, we've, ha- we've received these answers to prayers that, that, that may be silly at times. And they, later on, you go, oh my gosh, that was so silly. But then you go, God, you're so good. You care about the little things. And then the crisis comes. You pray that it won't happen. It happens. And you say, you give me a parking place, but you don't keep somebody alive? Keep your parking places. Give me my loved one. Human nature. We don't know why. Man tries to figure it out. The Bible says that unless a seed fall to the ground and die, it will not bear fruit. What does that mean? I think one possible interpretation of that scripture is that through somebody's death, often somebody else comes to faith. Through a Christian's death, their testimony of life lived on through other people strengthened sometimes because of a moment of of crisis where our faith in God becomes strengthened because he walks with us, somebody else becomes saved from that moment. Unless a seed fall to the ground and die, it will not bear fruit. So is God good? We talked a little bit about this last week. We find the goodness of God in this book. 
And yet, when you read it, you see the struggles of faith. Moses was used to take the children of Egypt, the children of Israel out of Egypt. One of the first things that happened, they ran out of water, and they start cursing God. Why did you bring us out into the desert so we would starve, so that we wouldn't have water? You should have left us in Egypt. And then throughout the time in the wandering in the wilderness, they would say the same thing. Why did you bring us out here only to kill us out here? Moses was chosen by God to bring them out and into the promised land, yet he didn't get to go into the promised land. Joshua was called to lead the people into the promised land, yet they never fully take possession of the promised land. Job, who was blessed beyond all things and one of the richest people uh, in the Bible, loses everything and goes through a time of struggle and trial. Read the book of Job, you find that God is still good. King David, he had a tumultuous life, and yet the Psalms are where we go for comfort. The difference between David and us often is that David, even in the midst of questioning God, why do the wicked prosper? He didn't question God's character and his goodness. That's the difference for us. We need to put our faith in his character. And I think it's absolutely okay to question God. God, I don't understand why this happened. Would you show me? He might and he might not. But we have to know the character and nature of God so well that we don't begin to question his character, his goodness. And we can hold on to God. I don't understand this trial that I'm going through, but I'm trusting that you will bring me through it. Job says, though my flesh be destroyed, yet with my eyes will I see God. Trusting in the nature and character of God can only come from knowing His nature and character. As we begin to spend more and more time in prayer and in the Word of God, learning about Him and looking at, at, at His majesty, we'll begin to understand His majesty a little bit more. James Dobson said this, and it rings so true, If we truly understood the majesty of the Lord, and the depth of His love for us, we would certainly accept those times when He defies human logic and sensibilities. Indeed, that is what we must do. If we understood the majesty of the Lord and the depth of love for us, for God so loved you that He gave His only Son, that anyone who believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. That's a God of love. In Psalm 147, we read it this morning. He counts the number of the stars. And he calls them all by name. He created everything says his understanding is infinite. God 
is absolutely amazing. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. I want to read Isaiah 40, verse 28, for a couple verses. Isaiah 40, verse 28. This is in the, in the, in the Good News translation. I read in a whole bunch, and this is just says it perfectly. Don't you know? Haven't you heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. He created all the world. He never grows tired or weary. No no one understands his thoughts. Another version said, his understanding cannot be fathomed. It's inscrutable. He strengthened those who are weak and tired. Even those who are young grow weak. Young people can fall exhausted, but those who trust in the Lord for help will find their strength renewed. They will rise on wings like eagles. They will run and not get weary. They will walk and not grow weak. Sometimes we know these passages, we need to go a little bit further. Just read a little bit before. Don't you know? Haven't you heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. His wisdom, understanding, reason is another translation for the, the Hebrew word. His reason is unfathomable. It's enigmatic. Isn't that a good word? It's an enigma. We can't figure it out. We have to trust in Him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. For Isaiah 55 says, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And yet in all of this, He is good. We have to hold on in faith and says, I can't see anything good happening now, but I'm going to trust you and walk with you. And that's where we put our hope and faith and trust is in the God who is good and become people of the word and see his goodness and make sure that we're understanding the true gospel. He loved us and he sent Jesus to die for us. But in this world, we have trials and tribulations and difficulties. It was never a promise to us, a, a bed of roses, unless you realize that roses have a lot of thorns on them. But he says that I will walk with you. I'll never leave you. I won't forsake you. Church, let's, let's let the three Hebrew children Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be guides for us who said to the emperor, he says, we will not bow down to your image. We will not worship it. Our God is able to save us. And even if he doesn't, we will not bow down. They had such truth in that. Even if God chooses not to answer my prayer the way I want him to answer, I will not bow down to any other God. Not to my fears, not to my doubts, not to secularism. I will worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen. Amen. We're going to pray. We're going to receive an offering right after we pray for this message to touch our hearts. And um, because I forgot to do that at the beginning.
Um, let's pray. God, so much in life doesn't make sense. But today, in faith and by faith, we put our hope and our trust in the King of Kings, the creator of the universe, the star-breathing God, as the Psalms say. You created them all. You named them all. You don't just know how many hairs are on my head, God, you know how many stars and how many grains of sand are. You know the words that I will utter before I even think them. So God, by faith and through faith, we put our hope and our trust in you. God, we would ask that you would strengthen our faith, that you would help our faith be built upon the rock of Jesus Christ and the word of God. We thank you that your word is true and it speaks for generations and generations and it calls out truth and life and grace. God, we thank you that this world is not our home and that you went 2,000 years ago, Jesus, to prepare a place for us. God, I thank you that you sent a a person like Keith Green to to simply come up with such a great saying as if it took you six days to create this world, this earth, and you've been working on heaven for 2,000 years, that we're living in a garbage can compared to what you have waiting for us. So our hope and our faith and our, our trust is in you and heaven that will someday be reunited with those that have gone before, that someday we'll be healed of our physical infirmities, someday we'll be released from our addictions and sin, we will walk forever whole in your presence. We thank you that your word is true. We put all of our hope and trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.